Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Are you relying on the bank of mum and dad to get you on the property ladder? A new study shows that your parents' housing wealth is depressingly now critical to your future chances of home ownership. More on the show later. Welcome to the world of private banking. I'll be joined by Rich People's Problems columnist James Max, who tells us why he's happy to pay through the nose for old-fashioned customer service. And the pensions dashboard has finally arrived. So what should we make of it? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's news. If you're saving up to buy your first home, your parents are likely to have a big hand in how successful you are. BOMAD, otherwise known as the Bank of Mum and Dad, is technically one of the UK's top 10 mortgage lenders, given the size of parental contributions when offspring flee the nest. But a new study this week by the Resolution Foundation makes rather depressing reading for millennials. Joining me now to discuss is Gavin Jackson, economics reporter for the FT and somebody who himself is saving up to get on the housing ladder. Welcome, Gavin. Thanks, Claire. So what have they come up with in this survey? So it's a rather good bit of research. So we don't really know exactly how big the bank of mum and dad is. There's lots of estimates out there. But what they've managed to do is join up some long-term data sets to look at how important it was when you, when you were a kid, how much wealth your parents had, to how much wealth you have when you're an adult. So they've got 40 years of people's lives, basically. So it's quite good. And what they found is that those whose parents had property wealth are three times more likely to have property themselves when they get to the age of 30 than those whose parents did not. Um, and that's up from about twice as likely uh, a decade ago. So it's a real sea change in how likely you are to get on the property ladder compared to the previous generation. Now, we've mentioned BOMAD, the Bank of Mum and Dad. Obviously, this survey is reflecting that in today's market, the more likely you are to get on to the, to the property ladder depends on how much money your parents are able to give you. Yeah. So there's two things that have changed, really. One is, as we all know, house prices, especially in London, have gone up massively relative to earnings. So it's just harder to, to you know, to save up from, from the right take home. And the other thing is mortgage lending has been tightened up. Mm. So banks are demanding bigger deposits than they were before the crisis. And that, again, means you need to save up more before you even get a chance. So even if you can afford the monthly payments on your mortgage, you just need to find that capital from somewhere. The mm. bank of mum and dad is... For most people who have that option, the best option they have. Certainly. And it could even be the remortgage of mum and dad if they've got a valuable enough property that they can release some equity from. So we've been talking personally about our own circumstances. Obviously, I'm 41, I'm uh, you know of the generation older than you. And I was looking at 
how much I paid for my first property. I didn't have any help from my parents. And I only had to put down a deposit of £1,000 15 years ago um, when I bought it. Now, they do own their own property. They're not super wealthy, um, but I didn't need their help. This was in 2003. Now, fast forward to today and the flat that I live in now has soared in value. Um, If I wanted to buy it and have a 10% deposit, I would need to find £45,000 plus stamp duty, um, which as a first time buyer would have been impossible for me today unless I could have knocked on the door Mm. of BOMAD or have saved up um, that much money, which illustrates perfectly the the generational disparity in your research. Yeah, the the Resolution Foundation estimated it would take you about 18 years to save a deposit yourself. So that's if you're 30 years old. So you wouldn't get on the property ladder until you were close to 50. Mm. And how does that square with your own experiences as um, a late 20-something trying to get on the ladder yourself? Well... I do try and save, but it is so distant that it feels a bit pointless. So I'm not on the property ladder. I live in a uh, rented flat with my girlfriend. Um, We both make relatively decent money. But it's so far off, you know, out of our reach that the uh, pretty much I think the only way I could get on the property ladder is if my parents did give me some money. Now, that's something they're considering. I don't really like the idea of getting a handout Mm. from your parents, but the alternatives to me seems to be I can either just give money to my landlord or accept some money and from my parents and not do that. So somewhat, someone is going to benefit perhaps a little bit unfairly from this situation. I'd rather it was me. Yeah, well, certainly. And I mean, I can tell you from the FT Money readers that I meet at events or um, who, who write and email us, if you want to email us, our email address is money at ft.com. Looking after your children by getting them onto the property ladder is like the number one financial goal um, for for most of them because they see rent as money that's being thrown away but not all of them frankly are able to afford uh, to be able to help if you're looking at London house prices. What else was there in the Resolution Foundation research about um, the wealth of your parents and the wealth of children that caught your eye? So the interesting thing they found is that the bank of mum and dad effectively pays out twice because not only do you have the chance to get some capital to get on the property ladder but also if your parents had property wealth themselves it makes it more likely that you're going to earn a high salary yourself when you get to their age. Mm -hmm. So what they find is that those whose parents had property wealth are more likely to have a degree and more likely to have a higher salary, which then makes it in turn even easier to get onto the property ladder through saving. So luck plays a big role in whether you manage to get a house yourself. But would you say, is it it luck or is it something to do with... um, you know, the the school you went to, the aspirations you had in life, like if wealth is directly linked to whether you get a degree, there's a lot of that parents saying, you know, you must go to university and kind of programming the, the, their children to a certain lifestyle. I think so. I think we all know that, you know, in Britain, your parents' wealth affects your own life through lots and lots of ways, whether it's what the kind of school you went to, the area you lived in, who your friends were at school, um, the networks you have access to when you then join the world of work, the knowledge you have about what jobs are out there. So it's kind of, there are all these things that are just, you know, related to this class system we all live in, but rarely talk about. Well, sorry to end it there on a slightly depressing note. That was Gavin Jackson, the FT's economics reporter. You can read more on this topic in FT Money this weekend, available from Saturday in all good news agents, or you can read us online at ft.com slash money. Having a clear and comprehensive view of all your pension pots is so important to properly understanding whether you are saving enough for retirement. 
but currently millions of pension savers in the UK have no easy way to see all of their pension pots in one place and are therefore driving towards disappointment when they retire. But this week, the UK took steps towards making it easier for pension savers to get a much clearer picture of whether their retirement plan is headed in the right direction when it unveiled further details for a new service known as the Pensions Dashboard. Once fully operating, the dashboard will allow savers to see all of their pensions, including private and state pensions, in one place. Josephine Cumbo, the FT's award-winning pensions correspondent, is here in the studio to tell us more about the dashboard, what it will and won't do, and when we will all be able to use it, which is probably the most pertinent question. Yes. So uh, when it was first announced two years ago, the pensions dashboard in the 2016 budget, the Chancellor George Osborne said 2019 next year we'd all be able to see our pension pots uh, in one place online. So over the past two years, the government has been working with industry to try and get this groundbreaking new service launched and the good news is we will see a dashboard next year but it won't be a fully baked fully ready to go dashboard it'll be the start of a pensions dashboard from next year great news that it's actually happening obviously everything in the pensions world takes an extraordinary long time but why will there be more than one dashboard that's right there's going to be multiple dashboards which is quite interesting isn't it because um how's all this going to work what how it's going to work is is that there's going to be dashboards offered by your pension provider for example who you're savings with but there'll also be a dashboard offered by the government now they're going to run alongside each other and the the thought behind this is that there'll be lots of dashboards and offer that people can use and that the the commercial operators can change them and tweak them a little bit. You'll get the same information underneath, but you'll get, you know, they'll look a bit different. And then, of course, they can sort of promote their products to you on the dashboard at the same time. So what we were told today is this plan for multiple dashboards. They'll all be fed with the same data underneath, but most importantly, that there will be governance and regulations that they'll anyone offering a dashboard will have to work to if they're going to pull your information and call it a a dashboard. So tell us a bit more about what was agreed in this week's announcement. Okay, the key, one of the key headlines was that there was going to be multiple dashboards, not just one dashboard available. Important to note that it won't be multiple dashboards from next week, uh, from next year rather. What we will see is a gradual phasing in of the dashboard, starting with the non-commercial or government-run scheme. And from then, it'll expand into services offered by your insurer. So this won't be available, widely available overnight. It's going to be a gradual process. That's the key headline here. But the data available in the dashboard will include state and private and workplace pensions eventually once it's fully running. So it should be comprehensive, but we don't expect that's going to happen for another three to four years. The good news is that the government has agreed that if you have a financial advisor, they'll also be able to log on to the dashboard on on your behalf on a delegated basis to check information for you if they're they're working for you. So the key points to remember here out of this week's announcement are that the dashboard is going to be available, but it won't be fully available to see everything online for another three to four years. And a good thing that advisors are able to to look at it, because obviously the problem of lost and, and missing pensions is something that you've written about in the pages of FT Money before. But will there be any information that will be left out of the pensions dashboard? Well, you've made a really good point there about 
being able to see pensions all in one place, and that is the the point of a dashboard, is to pull all this information. And the risk is, is that while the dashboard is going through its development phase, that people won't know that they're only getting partial sight of all their of all their pensions. So I think it's really important that while the dashboard is being developed and fed and grows, and let's not forget there are around 40,000 pension schemes out there. So that's a lot. It's a huge project to feed all this information. Many of them on paper records. Absolutely. So, so this is going to be a long project, but I think it's really important that people jumping on board the dashboard, whichever one is offered, that they're told. It's, they're made aware that this might not be all their pension pots, so there is, that reduces the risk of them doing, doing or acting on incomplete information. And are you satisfied with the level of information about fees and charges that the dashboard promises to provide? Well, there won't be any charge information, so you can compare how much you are being fees you're paying on your pensions initially, not in the, in the gradual stage of the dashboard as it's being developed. You won't be able to see all this. Now, I think it's really important that people should understand how much they are paying for their pensions and being able to compare other pensions that they have so they can make decisions, for example, to transfer their pensions or to consolidate them. Absolutely. I mean, it's not uh, charges are, are not the only sign of value for money, but they're an important indicator. And I think, yes, most definitely, that information should be on the dashboard. Well, thanks very much there to Josephine Cumbay, the FT's pensions correspondent. You can read more about this story in FT Money this week, available with the FT Weekend newspaper from Saturday, or on our website now at ft.com slash money. There's no such thing as free banking. So said James Max, our rich people's problems columnist, in his column in FT Money last week, extolling the virtues of a private bank account. Something he says we should all aspire to. Well, James joins me now in the FT studio to defend his words, which prompted many outraged comments from FT readers. Welcome. Yes, the odd outrage here and there. <laughs> Probably from Tunbridge Wells or something. Oh, yes. No, there was lots of Tunbridge Wells. Well, before we get into to, to some of the humdingers uh, that FT readers have, uh, have left on the bottom of your article, explain to our listeners, what is the basic difference between a private bank and the high street version? Uh, in essence, nothing, because they use... Uh, the financial system that we have, which is accredited and, and backed up by the government and the rules which are set by uh, both internationally and uh, locally and nationally uh, to provide you with banking services. So somewhere to put your money safely, somewhere to um, undertake your financial transactions and somewhere to uh, pay the various bills that you have to pay, whether it's by direct debit or anything else. The difference is that many of our banks are either... Um, uh, listed on the stock market, or alternatively, they masquerade as private banks, but in fact, they're just owned by the big ones anyway. And the difference is that there are one or two which are privately held, privately owned, and therefore they have a very different business model. And the business model is based around customer service. Okay, so you say in your article that you get excellent customer service from your bank, which we can name on the podcast because you named it in the column, which is Hawes. Um, obviously, saying see, it, see saying, it and saying it on a podcast, um, should, I should point out it's spelled H O A R E apostrophe S. Well, quite. So it was founded in 1672. So it's a very old bank, and it's still run by the family who started it in the first place. And I know that we have various views. I think perhaps in society about uh, companies which are passed from. 
uh, one generation to the next and, and maybe that leads to nepotism and various other things that maybe we in society have moved away from. But arguably, I think that provides a higher level of integrity, a higher level of service and a higher level of wishing to do the right thing by their clients, because inevitably many of their clients are father to son, father to daughter, mother to son or daughter, whatever it may be. And uh, and some of the comments that people made about, uh, you know, Mike joining this, I didn't really have a choice. Uh, and, and I dare say I could go to another bank if I wanted to. So I opened a bank account uh, when I was 15 at the behest of my father, who was a customer and he was a customer because uh his legal practice was next door and i think it was the bankers to the legal practice and that's how it led to it and he said well look this might be useful to you later in life so join it and if you like it you like it and if you don't you don't so this might be useful to you later in life i mean that's interesting i mean one of one of the reader comments said that anyone who pays to to bank at a private bank like james max does must have status anxiety because of course when you write somebody a check if indeed you still do that it will have a picture of the sign of the golden bottle it will um, on it uh, i think the thing is uh, the age of 15 you don't really understand uh, why or how you might have these things and, and you just think it's maybe you just think it's normal i don't know um yes yeah, so i think i had a nat west piggy bank yeah well i had one of those too uh, because i i you know i was uh, the generation that they did all these free sports bags and midland when they existed you got a free sports bag nat west did the piggies so we collected the piggies as for the cachet though of having a, a, a private bank yeah look i think that there is no cachet as a younger person to be honest it's it's potentially an embarrassment uh, and as you get older to me it's not about cachet and i know that some people might think that i ever have anxiety you clearly haven't met me uh, or, or some kind of status problem and again you clearly haven't met me this is purely about customer service what i think is right and and the point of writing the article was i don't care which bank you bank with or for i don't actually judge you based on that at all and and guess what i have another bank account which i didn't mention in the article, Ooh. it's with Metro Bank. <laughs> now, it's with Metro Bank because they have coin counters. Amazing! And actually a lot of free services. So that cost me absolutely nothing. So this isn't about status. This is about a function that you may require. And this is also about there is an opportunity cost to your money. Do not think for a second that any bank, whether it's NatWest or Lloyd's or HSBC or anybody else, none of it is free. They are all making off like bandits. So... Take your choice about who you want to bank with based on the service that you think is required. So I made my choice based on now uh, on the sorts of things that I might need in in my day to day life. And one of the things that I really value above pretty much all else uh, is time and health. My health is very often compromised by people who irritate and annoy me (laughs) and waste my time that leads on to time that i don't have a lot of so anybody who saves me time because they answer their phone within two rings anybody who saves my time because i can ring up and say look i've got a problem can you help me with this and within a nanosecond they'll say yes we'll come back to you anybody who is able to inform me and let me know and say look your account is about to go overdrawn because something and it saves me x number of pounds because you know your normal bank like your high street one 30 quid 60 quid if you go overdrawn Mm. because you haven't arranged it and they don't ring and tell you these guys ring and tell you and it means you can do something about it within seconds the other big serious point that you make in your column is that the high street banks can often be very opaque about the way that they charge their customers fees, as you mentioned there, for unexpected overdraft, etc., etc. Whereas the private banks, they may cost quite a lot of money 
and you're going to tell us um, in a second what the costs of your account are, but they're very transparent in the way that they charge. And as you've made the point already, customer service is, is top notch. Absolutely. So say, for example, the opaqueness that we have, you know how there have recently been quite a lot of adverts, perhaps on your television or elsewhere, which have indicated that should you need a loan really quickly, you can get one at the click of a button at a quick call. And it's 1187 APR, you know, a really high interest rate in tiny letters on the bottom in of the tiny screen. letters on the yeah. bottom of the screen the reason that they're able to get away with that is because what your bank does is it has a charge it doesn't charge you the interest rate that is quoted it'll say oh your your the charging rate will be five percent above whatever it is or ten percent or seventeen percent or or the charge of your credit card whatever it is the point is that they will have a one-off charge 30 pounds 60 pounds for going overdrawn or going over your overdraft limit and that is not part of the apr that they quote to you so you need to be really aware. And also they will start charging you for the transactions that you do, again, if you are over and above and outside your limit. And those, again, might be quite opaque in terms of what they charge you. So every time you take money out of the cash machine, if you take it out of the cash machine and your account is not flush, you will probably be charged. Every time you do some kind of transfer or any kind of um uh, payment again you'll be charged and they won't necessarily tell you of course they'll send you a sheet which has got 17 pages of conditions terms whatever and it'll be stacked in there somewhere. which nobody ever reads which nobody ever reads because uh, life's too short and how much are you effectively paying for your private bank account with Seahaw and co right if i have twenty five thousand pounds or more on average in a month in my account zero if i don't then it will cost me 60 pounds which is £720 a year, for the services that I receive. This is a sizable amount of money, but not so much that it's going to uh, bankrupt you. But the other thing is that if, for example, you say, oh, well, it's free if you've got £25,000 in your account, you do have to think about the opportunity cost of that yeah. money. You know, Say, for example, that money might be invested in an ISA, it might be invested elsewhere, you might be able to put it into your pension, whatever it is, of course there is an opportunity cost of money, and it might be worthwhile either paying that fee because you're getting more elsewhere, or uh, just thinking about it and saying, no, 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 I'm going to keep it liquid. Because remember, we're talking about rich people's problems. And I know that some people might find that slightly unpalatable. But there are some people on this planet who do have a certain amount of money, me not necessarily included. There are plenty of people who have way more cash than I do, who are much more interested in making sure that there is integrity, that they get service, that they just get what they need when they need it. And guess what? You do get yourself in a, a tight fix because... I know, again, people think that all your problems are solved if you've got a lot of money. No, if you've got a lot of money, you just have different problems. <laughs> OK, well, at which point I feel we should go into uh, to, to some of the reader comments. Now, I'll get you to read out some of your your favourites in a minute. I, I particularly like this one from somebody who calls himself Pulex. Max is just a jumped up little nouveau riche. Um, an account such as with whores appeals to his ilk merely for bar boasting and dinner table talking. The genuinely rich, which I assume includes our commentator, tend to be thrifty, like Warren Buffett, who simply ambles down to his local McDonald's in his shoulder strap dungarees. The rich are also canny enough to use Tesco mobile phone and broadband, one of the cheapest and most effective. My next door neighbour, who endowed an entire new Cambridge college and built the NHS a brand new hospital on the sole condition it was named after his dear old mum, used to drive around the town in a beat up old Morris Minor. Bore off. 
I mean, look, I, I, as I said, I didn't make the decision. I, I, I certainly do not do this so that I can wave and flash and uh, uh, all that sort of thing. I, it's purely driven around service. But I'm glad you think I'm nouveau riche. There's obviously some new, new meaning to the word nouveau and riche that I hadn't previously been aware of. And tell us some of your favourite comments. Well, uh, this one uh, from XYZ. This is the most vulgar article I've seen in the FT. If whores are not deeply ashamed of their customer, then they truly deserve their homophonic name. Good Lord. Uh, good Lord. Well, you know, really, I, I've been invited to lunch, so it's either to receive a telling off or alternatively that I liked it. Dear Max, says another one, don't mislead people. The nationwide account you mentioned provides worldwide travel insurance, worldwide mobile insurance, UK and European breakdown cover and credit card charge, no fees when used abroad, blah, blah, blah. £13, that's a lot better than a private bank. Yeah, that wasn't really the point. Of course, with many banks, and I dare say with horse, I do get quite a lot of freebies as well. You get freebies with anybody, but there's some, there's a difference between a freebie and free banking. Free banking, it doesn't matter nationwide or anyone else, it's not. Well, many readers have picked you up on the fact that you said that you very much liked your free um, leather checkbook cover, yes. um, which you got for having an account. And uh, many of them uh, say, who writes checks nowadays? That was a comment from well, I do on occasion. Uh, somebody called Lucky Kid. Yet alone looks at one and notices the bank. Um, another person called Q12 says, a, perf- a purveyor of bespoke spats will only take a check these days, I hear. I can confirm for the record, James Max is not wearing spats in the FT studio. No, I'm wearing a pair of nice Chelsea boots. Uh, was this article meant to be tongue-in-cheek, says this particular one. I hope that is the case. No, it's not tongue-in-cheek. It is genuine. I, everything I write, I know that sometimes it looks as if it's being a bit flippant. Everything I write is there for a reason. And it is because any problems that you have... So, say for example, we all have problems uh, in the same way that the only normal people are people you don't know very well. So everybody has problems. It's just that if, for example, you have a certain amount of money or you're rich or very rich or extremely rich, whatever it is, your problems are likely to be different from my problems. And all I'm trying to do is to say, look, some of the problems that we encounter, particularly when you are time poor, can be solved by having some of these things. And yes, it does cost money. It's in the same way of, you know, why do some people go to a dry cleaners and have their shirts done? And some people have somebody in to come and do them. And some people do them themselves. I mean, you know, some people who, I don't know, have no life, love doing their own washing and ironing. Whatever. You make your choices and, and, and you pay your money. I mean, you know, it's done. Um, finally, to end on, um, Bismarck says, uh, I very much doubt that this expert is much of a kidnapping type. Target, perhaps obliquely commenting on the fact that you had less than £25,000 in your account. Another called Cold Feet joins in and says, I guess anyone who accidentally kidnapped James Max would end up paying somebody else to take him off their hands or gag him. Wow. Um, y- y- yes, probably. Although I am a very, very good luncheon guest, should any of you wish to offer. I know there's no such thing as a free lunch, but still. Well, I'm, I'm sure you'd be pleased to uh, to test out that theory. Well, thank you ever so much there to James Max, our Rich People's Problems columnist. You can read um, his latest epistle on private banking on our website now, ft.com slash money. And also, if you have a problem that you would like James Max to investigate, you can email him directly on a special email address that we've set up for him, Problems at ft.com, to his great disgust. It does not have an apostrophe, richpeoplesproblems at ft.com. That's it for The Money Show this week. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us or our team of experts, you can email us money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter at ftmoney. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat 
rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.